All right. Hello, hello. Hello, hey. hello. Hi. <laughs> so we have a very special guest today. Super special guest. An entrepreneur, a creative uh, genius who's done a million different things. I'm also a friend. Um, so Maman Lapierre from La Petite Bête. Um, she has her own blog. She has her own YouTube channel. She does amazing things. Uh, it's mostly, Manon, what would you define, what, what, what's your description of what you do? How would you define yourself? Uh, oh, you do ask the right questions. <laughs> uh, we're, we started off being a blog and a YouTube channel, uh, launch simultaneously. And uh, the point was to cook recipes on air. And back then in 2015, the market was very slim. Uh, on YouTube for Quebecers cooking in French. And we started doing it after I did like a short analysis of the market. And I was like, okay, so Ricardo's on TV, Marie-Lou is on the web, but on YouTube, there's not much people. So let's just try this. We were both working full time at the time. And it started with just cooking and recipes. We've expanded to travel. Uh, you know, sometimes it's a lot of family as well. I think people just love to see us in action, to see what's happening. They want to see the dog. They want to see the kids. Um, so it's become sort of an all around, but with cooking being the forefront. So it's sort of what brings the family together. And I know, you know, we've known a full disclosure. Manon and I have known each other, what, like five or six years now. Um, and, you know, Manon's always been a great creative uh, force of nature with great ideas and very, you have a lot of comfort too from the camera and in front of the microphone. So I find, it, I find it fascinating how you've managed to take this brand and turn it into really your business. This is just, you know, an idea, a passion you had and you created the business. You're not, you're, you're selling what you're good at and able to get there. So. First of all, before we get into a little bit more of the details of what you do, tell us about, I know you've got like, how many, you were just telling us before, you've got how many regular subscribers, followers, or however you call it, like tell us a little bit more about how it works. On YouTube, we are over 135,000 subscribers, but we have yet to receive our trophy from YouTube. Oh, oh. <laughs> I guess it got lost in the mail or something during the pandemic. <laughs> um, I was very much looking forward to that little piece of decor decoration. Um, the blog reaches, uh, you know, more than 225,000 page views per month and close to 150,000 unique visitors. Uh, it's surprising how well everything is doing. Like we put content regularly at least every week for the past five years. For the first two years, we were part-time. It was really sort of a hobby slash sideline slash a creative outlet uh, because our day jobs did not allow us to be so creative. <laughs> and then uh, after two years, we started having, well, no, before the first two years, um, we started having contracts and the more we were doing, and working for ourselves on that bit, the less we wanted to work for somebody else. <laughs> the day job uh, seemed to be irrelevant. So at some point we kind of had to sink the boat and plunge. And I thought, you know, what, what's the worst that's gonna happen? The worst is gonna happen if this is not working out, we can't make money out of this dream and we, I just go back to work and you go back to work. And that's as far as, as we went in terms of, uh, <laughs> of planning <laughs> and uh yeah it's, it's it's turned out well we we do manage to live from it 
which uh, surprises the hell of our parents. They don't understand. <laughs> what? You make money off YouTube? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I do have um I have a question, Menno, because I know in your prior work when you were at P and G, you were part of I think uh, PR department. Like, was there some kind of connection there, or was it really just you did this on your own, or did some of what you did in the past help you move forward into doing this? Um, you know what they say: everything you do ends up serving you. I guess so. When I when I was in college. I was looking for a job. I needed money. I ended up working for IBM. So I did sales for five years after college because that was the highest paying job I could find. <laughs> my dad worked in IT. All my UT had an IT consulting firm and he was an entrepreneur. And I thought the only thing I didn't want to do is work in computers. So anyways, I did sales for a long time. So I, I know where you come from. And then I moved on to Procter and Gamble after five years, um, back then in the pet care industry, because they just bought IMS and Yukonuba. So it was such a weird change. I went from selling mainframes to selling dog food. <laughs> and uh, it was so much more fun. <laughs> I have to be honest, I love that job. Did that for a while. And then uh, I think I did five or six years and I worked, they called that back in the day so that was 2001 my title was influencer account manager which i find very ironic because influencer now is how people call us and i'm like you can yeah. hear my puppy in the back i think sorry <laughs> um so i do love pet care still and uh so i moved on to png in pr and communications in 2007 i believe and uh that to me was such a fun role because i was touching all of the brands at png so one day i could talk about baby care to journalists and the next day i'd be talking uh ole and pantene and doing fashion shows and and whatnot so it was so it was a lot of fun for many many years and uh, the more I was doing that job, the more I was, first of all, the whole team was in Toronto. So I was, I was doing what everybody's doing now. I was working from home, working remote and doing a lot of conference calls. The good news is there was no Zoom. And so I did that. And uh, after many years, it started to getting less and less creative because we were paying, and you know this, Paul, we, we were paying agencies to be the creative. And uh, our role was managing budgets and explaining why we needed to do something or why we didn't need to do something. And in 2016, I did the Rio Olympics, which I would say was the highlight of my career. I traveled there for three weeks, uh, brought in eight journalists from Canada, uh, representing a slew of brands. We had athletes uh, that were signed with the Olympics. And um, Coming back from the Olympics, I think I realized I needed more of that type of role and the, the creative behind it. And that's where um, I had started La Petite Bed before that, a year before. So we launched in 2015. And that's where the mental framework started that uh, this is what we should do full time. So my husband went all in, which uh, is a whole lot of fun. He, he loves the, the technique, like all the, he loves buying cameras is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> and now he has a reason to do so <laughs> uh, and microphones and whatnot and uh, I do a lot of the research and development and testing recipes and I'm the host and uh, I negotiate so all the sales background comes into effect and I do 
the bulk of the marketing, managing the social medias, um, sell, I, like cross promotions against platform. That's all what I do. I want to I want to jump in there because of course we want to talk marketing and sales. And when you say you negotiate, so you're talking about all your sponsorship agreements um, because you get you get some YouTube and you get some blog revenue, but you probably also supplement that with some. Sponsorship. Yeah, definitely. The YouTube money is not, uh, unless you, you're, you know, you're super cool and a gamer slash uh, millennial that's super popular. Most people don't live off the YouTube money or what we like to call it. It's a nice secured revenue, I would say, unless YouTube goes down, which again, who knows. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's revenue that you, you can't live off it. So the bulk of our revenue is in uh, uh, sponsorships and collaborations with brands. Uh, sometimes it's stuff that people don't even realize we do. So we produce, <laughs> uh, sometimes we produce uh, content for the brands. <laughs> Sorry about that. And um, the, as we produce for them, nobody knows this, but you, you know, you could see my my hands on a cooking recipe for a brand, you know, that they use on their social channels. So we are essentially videographers, our own team of uh, of uh, creatives for some of their brands. And then there's the book uh, that I've put a whole lot of time into, which is a camping cookbook uh, called En Feu, so On Fire, uh, which is coming out May 11th. And uh, there's a whole lot of, we've been doing camping for many years, so we're hoping that this is going to be uh, another, maybe not a, a huge revenue, but a small revenue. So it's, revenue it's, exactly. Now, do you seek out the sponsors or do they seek you out? How does that work? Uh, it goes both ways. Uh, I'll be honest. One of my challenges is uh, putting more time in prospection and, and calling and pitching and just doing it on a regular basis every week and doing it again and again. Uh, sometimes I just don't find the time because we're so busy. And then once after, I realize I should have been doing it all along. So it's, <laughs> yeah, so it's sort of... Um, a circle but yeah very often the agencies that we work with love the work that we do and they come back for another client or another piece of work for the same client so it tends to be a lot of repeat we have one uh, long-term customer it's been uh, three years with IGA so Sylvie's uh, we produce content for them we produce content as influencers as well for so it goes both ways some of our content lives on their platforms and uh, we also it's good because I have I there's just this morning I was at grocery again so it's a place I hang out with that's great, that's great. so yeah. Pat, as usual I'm hogging all the questions but Mano I'm happy to hear you admit that you're probably not prospecting as much as you can uh, we know this really good podcast where you can go learn how to do all that stuff so <laughs> if you go backwards and listen to all our stuff we can totally help you in doing that properly but Fab I want to let you ask questions because I always hog the questions so your turn go for it oh fair enough um listen thanks for sharing the story but my question would be more kind of like you were saying i don't know if it was offline or when we started that you know there wasn't a lot of french cooking shows on youtube when you started um if you were to start now like what would you do the same thing would you approach it differently because there's probably more competition now Oh, there's definitely way more people now than there were in 2015. Um, 
if I were to start today, I think there's still a place for it, but you really need to distinguish yourself in some way from, from the slew of, of different channels that are everywhere. Um, how, I, I don't know, I don't have a magic recipe. In our case, it That's ended up being just us. And yeah. we get lucky and, 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 but we still have to work at it very hard because the algorithms are so much harder than they used to be, all of them, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or Facebook, they do what they want to do to make their own money. They don't really care whether you're popular or the views are coming or whatnot. So it's, it's uh, and a lot of YouTubers and, and bloggers are burning out essentially. Mm. So it just, it's a lot of work and the amount of time I've helped people, friends, friends of friends who wanted to know how to do it because it's, it's their dream. And um, literally like six, eight, nine months after, never hear from them, they're, you know, it just died on its own. But the number one thing that we did when we had this idea, um, I told Lionel, which is my, uh, my, my partner, I said, if we're going to do this, if you want to do this, we have to commit to one video a week, minimum two years. Mm. There's no, that was it. That was the deal. It was like, there's no vacation. There's no excuses. There's no, we had twins in 2015. They were uh, eight, uh, wait, 11. They were four years old. What? No, that can't be. <laughs> yeah. No, 2006. No, no. Okay. So they, they were, uh, yeah, eight, nine. So, but still, we had kids at home and, uh, you know, we we're busy people. So that was sort of the promise. And that I think that's how we, we were able after two years to go full time because we realized it did work out. And at the time, there was no risk. We we're still working our full job. So but I would say work, work, work is no secret. And then and and have a great idea. Professional. I think a lot of people try to distinguish themselves by being um I would say vulgar or uh, super funny, but then when when you try to have deals with companies after, it's going to be challenging. So in our case, we all always stay professional, thinking in the long run. No more swearing, Paul. But you say, uh, yeah. Luckily, we're not looking for sponsors. I only swear once in a while. But Manon, <laughs> you say you say to stay professional, but you're very much yourself, right? I mean, I know you, and the Manon we see on and off screen is very similar. Like, wouldn't you say? Well, I was going to say, isn't it more important to be authentic than than to be professional? I mean, I, I, I would challenge you on that because you are naturally <laughs> you're professional, but is is that not being authentic today? Doesn't that mean being professional in a way? Well, I just happen to be authentically politically correct. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I'm myself, but... You know, if your authentic self is super shocking, it might be okay, but it might be, you know, self-limiting eventually. So it responses. You have to Yeah, but for, for us, it, I am myself and I'm it's how we chose the brands we work with as well. Because you always pay for it when you chose when you choose wrongly. When you choose for the money, you're like, Oh, you know, I, I don't really eat that thing. I think it's gross, but I'm gonna do it. You pay for it. Have you so, made a few mistakes? Have, have you made a few of those mistakes where you, you took a sponsorship? I have, I have, and it, it bit back. Okay. It bit back. We got lucky. It didn't show, but it bit back in in my soul and in the negotiation. And it's like the universe was trying to tell us, you see, you shouldn't have done it because the, the agency was 
horrible to deal with. The client was horrible to deal with. We produced content that they didn't like. It just went to hell. And I was like, that's a good life lesson. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so I have done it once and that was enough. Well, authenticity is very important, obviously, because then, you you know, I, I, I think if you're not authentic, then you end up, you know, down a line that, that, uh, that makes you exactly challenge your choices. And then it probably shows, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe it shows. Like every time I, you try to other thing, you probably did yeah. this. <laughs> I think more importantly, I think authenticity, and it's such a key word that I'm starting to hate it, but um, authenticity, because we're maybe older, I'm able to say that it, what is it's important for your own soul. If you're not authentic in what you do, it will, it will, and, and having work in PR and PR is a dangerous line of work because sometimes you have to say things that you don't personally agree with. And it's something you have to live with. Right. Um, so for someone else and you have to go out there and, and push a brand that you might not always agree with, then you're, 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 you feel like you're, you're, it's what is soul sucking they call it or, or exactly. And, and I, I think I honestly see a lot of influencers and YouTubers and whatnot that may not be authentic. I see a lot of Instagram stars. Their feed is so boring. It, mm. Like everything is beige. Everything is perfect. Everything, you know, every photo took like a day to take, but it's like all the same. Or sometimes it's just the text is ridiculous. You see this girl in bikini and she's talking about the soul searching and you're like, what's this image got to do with your text girl? Like this has mm. nothing to do with what you're saying. So obviously they're trying to sell their content. Um, not necessarily based on authenticity. So I don't know. I, I feel for my own soul and for our souls and as parents, and uh, it's important, but I, I I tend to say it may not be the key to success for everybody. Some people seem to be achieving success, not being authentic. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I know Fab and I decided this right from the start. So we're going to be ourselves, right? And that's what yes. as you probably want to, because once in a while I do swear, right? I'm like, I'm tired of this fucking thing, and I just. It's okay. I think everybody swears now. Sorry, the puppy's coming in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, real life. What, yeah, exactly, real life. But what? What? Um, I guess what I'm asking, and you also say you're older now. I mean, you're not old, by the way, you're young. But do do you do you see a difference in the younger YouTubers? Like when I like, I mean, like the the, the ones just coming up now. And and this is a question to you, but to to everyone out there is, or, or not the YouTubers, but the, the people who are doing, um, you know, uh, using social media at different levels. Is there a difference in their approach? Is there already, um, uh, or, or do you just see that everyone who's authentic and, and, and reasonable does eventually grow into something? Um, definitely not everybody tends to grow into something. There are a ton of really great creators out there that, don't seem to achieve success and, and you just follow and and I don't know even as we have a lot of people who are saying like I don't understand we don't have more views on this video I don't know I don't like I don't understand sometimes the market even um, between geographies it's so different but um, I feel there's a place for everybody I feel the the new youtubers you know can achieve success but the algorithm is not making it easier because there's too many people right okay sorry yeah <laughs> it's just no it's okay by the way it's it's chill we don't we like the dog we both i have a dog at home yeah. 
and bring her here. I just got, she's she's been in our house four days. So new puppy alert for everybody who's listening. Say hello to Shelby. She's a rescue puppy <laughs> and she's acting like it. <laughs> she's a good girl. Bob also gets his cat that goes across the screen once in a while, but I think he locks him. Oh, I love it. I love it. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, so I, I think, it's, it's such a tricky question. I wish I could say I have a recipe to 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 be a success. I, I don't even consider ourselves like a huge success. What we have achieved is growing constantly. I wish we had one video that went totally viral and we had 16 million people watch it and then it kicked off everything. This is not how we looked at. Uh, it was just pure work and it continues being a lot of work and sometimes it is too much work. Uh, whereas it's it's just a constant daily managing of uh, the comments and the community and responding to questions and just being there. We don't have a, a team. I'm not a Ricardo. You know, during the pandemic, everybody started making bread. Mm. Our number one video is um, cocotte bread on YouTube. So everybody started watching that video, and then I become a I became a one eight hundred hotline for sourdough making or hot bread making, and I would get message. Literally, I had to put an automated message on uh, Messenger on Facebook and Instagram, saying like this: like we're a team of one responding to messages. So I'm sorry I can't answer all of your questions, and I'm sorry, but um, yeah, the dialogue was just going very very busy for a long time. <laughs> but it's good. We we were lucky during the pandemic. Viral. It went viral. Yeah. Good, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, um, the stats were crazy. You yeah. could see when it. You, when you say working, like the work that you put in. So I understand now it's a lot of community management. But in the early days, um, you know, what what would you say would where would you spend the most of your time? Like, was it just producing the video? Was it coming up with the ideas? Where would you spend most of your time? Um, in the yeah, you, you kind of have to balance it. Otherwise, you'll never make it. You have to put time into research and development and seeing what the market is looking for during a certain period of time. So the recipes have to make sense. You know, if, if everybody's gone gluten free and you're pushing out bread, which is what I did, it, it didn't pay in that time, but it paid in 2020 finally. <laughs> um, it, you know, every time we pushed out a video, I would cross promote on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, you know, we did teasers of the videos. So it was sort of a, a balanced amount of work and just the production itself. The filming is not what takes the longest, I think. It's the editing and developing the recipe, writing it on the blog. And I wish I had more time to do more marketing oriented content, like the BuzzFeed type of, you know, 10 recipes to make when you're depressed or whatever. <laughs> I don't do that. And I have tons of recipes that are sitting on the blog and I know I could repurpose it all. I have so many ideas. I think that's when, when you hit your X, you know, when you're doing finally what you're meant to be doing in life, the problem is then you, you run out of time. <laughs> There's no balance because then it's your dream and you're working towards it. And then the dream never ends. You wake up in the morning thinking, oh, my God, we could do this. And now we just launch our own podcast on it's like stories around the campfire. It has nothing to do with recipes. It was just a pure you know, walking on the street, walking the dog and thinking, oh, I love this kind of podcast. We should do this. And then Lionel was like, oh, okay, <laughs> and then, like we have time. But I think that's the fun part. 
the managing it all after is hard, it's challenging, but I, you know, yeah, there's no more weekends and sometimes there's no evenings, but I don't complain. I wouldn't go back to working the big blue chip job. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I could do it anymore. So it's funny you say that now, because what I'm hearing, and I think it's a bit the same thing for Fab and I, who are now doing, you know, working for ourselves and moving forward, is that it does, it, and it's true. I hear you saying that, and it's so true. It's like I work seven days a week, not because, you know, not because I don't want to, but because I do want to, because it is my passion and it does light me up. And I think of things that I can do in my trainings or in my coachings, and I think of things we can do on the podcast. And and I know sometimes you know I'll I'll text Fab at crazy hours and he'll answer me at crazy hours. You know? and, uh, I love it. Yeah, he just and, and I know Fab. You know Fab. You know has two young children, younger than my my kids are older than yours, Mano, and Fabs are even younger. So I know we're also managing your families. But what I find interesting here is that even though it's your dream, it's still hard work. It's still. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's still really hard work, and and you're, there's still some days where you probably say to yourself, oh, "I need a break or I need a vacation." <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, very often, and and working with my husband or partner is a whole other you know yeah. <laughs> challenge. Some okay. people are complaining right now that they're twenty four seven with their spouse for the first time ever in the past any months, and some of them didn't make it either. <laughs> but <laughs> for us, it's it's. Um, it was a worry, I'll be honest, when we launched this uh, full time, I thought, you know, this could break us, honestly. Like I didn't say it out loud, but I was sure as hell thinking it. <laughs> and um, we had to learn to talk to each other and, it, and it's hard. Sometimes he'll show me a video and I'm like, eh. And he's like, what do you mean, eh? And I'm like, well, I, I can't, I, I may not talk the same way to him that I would talk to a colleague or an agency, you know, I have to sort of choose my words. But what I did realize is that both of us being happy working for ourselves and our dream and, and letting our creative um, juice run makes for a happy household all in all. So the kids are happy. Everybody's happy. It's, it's, it's just, it worked out, but maybe we, we got lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Can I ask? Can I ask something more along uh, the brand side? So you say you, you have sponsors and you work with agencies and brands, like because our audience tends to be like business leaders and stuff like that, like what advice would you give to a business leader or a marketing leader or a sales leader, like whoever, who wants to work with a media personality or a blogger or an influencer? Uh, like how should they pick them? Like how should they reach out? Like which, how should they work with them? Oh, that's a, such a good question. Um, well, number one, agencies might hate me for this, but um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't give 100% of my trust into an agency. Like now that I've worked on both sides of agencies, yeah, I hired agencies for, you know, 13 years. I didn't quite understand how they work things. I realized that very often they work with the same people and over and over again, just maybe by lack of time or of taking developing relationship with other people i feel like and the agencies the, the staff keeps going around and it it's hard um number one if if somebody comes to you as a if you're a company leader or a brand person and and they are telling you they have a true love for your brand and they have less numbers maybe they might have less subscribers or less followers on instagram they're probably worth way more than the person on Instagram that's so much bigger 
and that will take that one-off contract and do it for you, but will never repeat it again. They'll just do it, they'll take the money, and then the next day it'll be somebody else, and the day after it'll be somebody else. Um, I've, in my perspective, I, I reach out to companies and brands that I truly, truly love, and I explain why. Like, for example, I pitched a, uh, the, how do you call those, uh, Coleman ovens? Coleman, the brand, the camping yeah. brand? Yeah. I pitched them just this morning. And I said, uh, we've never worked together before, but you know, I'm coming out with this cookbook and I talk at length about remembering my dad cooking on the Coleman, the green Coleman oven while camping when I was young and I still cook on it. And I said, there is something there, you know, just look at our media kit. Um, this is me telling you, I love your brand. And if I were a brand person or a marketing person or an agency, I would put these files or these pitches aside in a precious place, very uh -huh. close by for when I do have projects. Um, mm. Because uh, I think that that is the key. If there's a pure connection, it's gonna be worth a lot. And that person, if also what I would recommend is if you're you're going to be working with influencer, social media stars, or whatever. Even uh, the regular star system. Um, I would tend to push for longer contracts from the get-go, mm -hmm. and uh, instead of one-offs, because it does help. In my case, whenever I have long-term contracts, like several months or several pieces of content, I always go over and above. I want the client to be happy. I want to make sure that they know we love them. Uh, you know, if I'm, I don't know, let's say it's Tabasco. I love Tabasco. I've always loved Tabasco. I pitched to the agency who represented Tabasco and I said, you don't understand. Like I put Tabasco on my eggs in the morning. I love your brand. And I said, I, you know, I have a, an apron that I bought in New Orleans in 1998, blah, blah, blah. So I, I ended up working for Tabasco um, for a few contracts here and there. And it was one of the good brands for 2020, actually. But that relationship started years ago. And I continue putting them forward because I do love the brand. So I'll do a grilled cheese and I'll have Tabasco on the side. And they didn't pay me for it. I just mm -hmm. put it there because I love them and I love the people and I want to pursue that relationship. So yeah, sign longer term, sign people who truly love your brand and invest in that relationship because that's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing agencies pitch one program or one brand or one company the same day with 15 influencers. And if you're following social media as I am, it gets tiresome super fast because yeah. I'm on Instagram and I'm like, everybody's talking about that brand of coffee and how they love that brand of coffee. And some of them may say they're paid. Most of them, all the, the influencers are really good about um, disclaiming their relationship. The stars are not as good. <laughs> TV is not saying they're getting paid to place the products. We all know that. But um, the influencer will mention it. But it gets... I don't understand why brands would do that unless you're really, if the point is creating a buzz, then fine. Um, but it's, it's just a repeat of the same old thing. It's like watching the same ad spoken by 15 different people on the same channel. And that's what will happen on social media. We end up following the same people. So yeah, those are my that's, tips. That's, uh, just, and, and it's very interesting because what I like there is that your authenticity, your desire or your connection to that brand 
will obviously transfer into a better relationship for you as well because you're saying well i can i i believe in coleman for example you know because we always use it so it's going to be easy for you to relate to it and it's it's true relationship right even though you might say i'm sponsored by coleman you know you'll still say yeah. I, I, but I use this, I use this as a little kid and I'm happy to be sponsored by Coleman. So what I'm hearing a lot of here is authenticity. Um, I'm hearing a lot of, you know, be true to who you are, but be smart about who you also try to connect with, right? Don't sell your soul to the devil, right? Go for the things that you, you connect with. That, that's, that's really, really interesting. Fab, I'm letting you ask you the next question because I know I'm going to. Um, that was a long answer poor fab yeah. that's okay it's super interesting for me anyway <laughs> but uh, answers fab that was a great question Go for it. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll stick on the brand side of things you know a lot of the examples we hear even the ones you just shared like coleman and tabasco are tend to be like b2c brands but have you seen examples of b2b brands like going back to your ibm days can you see an ibm doing influencer campaign with people obviously talking about their mainframes and whatnot. Uh, do you sure. see it happening on the B2B side? Sure. Like it as as long as you know where your clients are hanging. So mm. your clients might not might not be on Instagram. They might be on LinkedIn. Or right. they might be watching um, I don't know, some training online. You just have to find where they are. Right. So that's the that's the, the key. And then what did they want to hear? I think a lot of what I'm seeing that seems to be popular right now is a lot of the trainings that are like super um, reduced. Like, you know, you get this 3000 value training for $32 only this month. It feels like infomercials from the eighties, but it seems to work. They seem to sell a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure you could sell those to companies as well. Right. And, you know, IBM, it was such a, in my days selling mainframes it was all about data security and data right. security is still on the minds of the clients and the consumers even more so now that the consumer actually know that you lost their data <laughs> the, you know pirates and whatnot so i feel any companies could could you know sell um directly they just have to know where and how and have the right message that's tweaked to their audience that's that's great. That's that's good. And it's interesting, man. Do, do you um, do you get often a chance to share this knowledge with other people, other than people who are connecting you? Like, do you do you, do you, do you talk to other YouTubers? Do you talk to other people doing the same thing? Like, is there a community of people who who do this kind of thing that you're doing that actually share stories and share uh, information, or do, or do you tend to all just be in your own universes? You know, trying to manage. <laughs> The day -to -day. There's a bit of um, there's a bit of helping going on on um, I would say group pages like YouTube Quebec or um, but it's sort of it's it's a mix between some people being super protective of what they do and how they go about it and uh, other people you know sharing and and oversharing. So, <laughs> um, I. I I, I have considered because of of my, you know, our, our particular situation is that we're probably the youtubers and the very young YouTubers we know, but the more experienced business-wise. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have done meetings where we were with uh, YouTube when they came to Quebec and we realized um, 
sort of a, that was sort of an asset that we had. And I, I thought for a while, should I do a training online or develop a group and say, you know, we're willing to help you. The only thing is it takes away from the dream. I think it would be a good business opportunity. I think I could make money doing it because I do have a good mix of um, understanding how the brands think and how the companies think um, and how as uh, content creators, we can help them. And I've considered doing, even at the beginning, I thought I would do some consultation work, but I, I never had time or the need uh, yet to approach companies to do it. But I think there's there's a, there's a lot of sharing going on, but there's a lot of people charging for it. Right. <laughs> we do it in smaller groups. Like mm -hmm. we have, I have a few friends, uh, in the same area that we share with. And we will say disingency and blah, blah, blah. And what do you think about those? And how much would you charge to do something like this? Uh, yeah. And I feel that's super important because what's happening right now is that there's so many influencers coming in. Um, and in order to make themselves a place, they do everything for free. So right. they will say, oh yes, of course, I'll take photos and you can give me your mayonnaise. And I'm like, okay, you don't, you don't live on mayonnaise. <laughs> you have to. No, you don't but live on mayonnaise? <laughs> yeah, so it's a jungle, literally, and it's happening more and more. And I, I have trust that um, this system, I had trust, I should, I should say that um, they, they would, the people who don't do it professionally or um, with the right reasons or doing it for free would eventually sort of disappear, but it's not the case. They're sort of multiplying. So it's becoming very challenging, but I do think as well that agencies and brands do understand the value being, you know, with the work with that type of work that we do. Okay. But it's hard. It's a very challenging jungle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. We should probably think about, Wrapping it up, <laughs> we've been you for almost 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so uh, Manuel, thank you so much for coming on. I think we have to have a follow-up because I have a million other questions that I want to ask you. Um, but it's been really I'll be helpful. happy to. It's awesome. fun to This is my job. <laughs> we, get to see, we sort of get to ask you questions about the behind the scenes, right? The reality, because I'll, I'll admit like, okay, so Fab and I have this podcast, but you know, I, I don't do a lot of YouTube stuff. A lot of what I do is behind, it's, it's training, it's corporate B2B training. So it's, I find it fascinating. I follow a lot of YouTubers in very various subjects, you know, like I'm, I'm a car guy. I follow uh, Hoovy's Garage, uh, which is, I find hilarious. And then, you know, I follow people on on. on guitar stuff and then I follow salespeople, but I, I've yet to talk to someone who actually lives that reality. So what, what you gave to us today I found was very, very informative. And what I take away from it, again, is that you are an authentic YouTuber who loves what you do and, and puts your heart and soul into it. And I want to I wanna really thank you. And we're going to turn off the live feed. Sorry, people, but Manuel, stay on because we want to chat with you a little bit more. Um, okay. But thank you. Everyone, thank you very, very much for joining us. Um, again, a, a great guest, and it was it was fun. Fab, any any final words? Again, I'm hogging the. the you uh, you close it off super well, man. <laughs> thank you, Manuel. That was really nice. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, guys. It was a pleasure.